I literally, yeah, no, I was listening to it and I thought like, wow, like, I'm not sure whether this is actually interesting or it's because I've, we've said it and <laughs> it's, it's my voice. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, is it actually like, what are we, but yeah, I guess people love the sound of their own voice, so, you know, maybe, maybe that's fine. <laughs> National Food Service Podcast, episode two. <laughs> well, episode two. We are going, where are we? We're, we're in Food Hall. We're in the underbelly of the organisation. <laughs> I think if you listen very carefully on your recording, you might hear the sound of cutlery coming from like a, an adjacent room. Yeah. <laughs> really get you the kind of intimate feeling of uh, being in a, a, a fully operational social <laughs> space. Um, and on the subject of Food Hall, or just to say, uh, it's Elliot, Louis and Molly back for week two, we're going to have someone else on for week three. Um, last week, we talked a lot about this idea of the National Food Service itself. What is it? It's a network of these kind of independent organisations, a bit like Food Hall. Um, week two, I felt like I wanted to delve a little bit more into what Food Hall itself actually is as one of these many organisations. So I've put together a little um, audio thing of... Um, <laughs> A little audio feature based on an interview I did with Louis a while back um, with clips of Food Hall on a cafe day. Uh, and I'm going to play you a little bit of that. My name's Louis and I'm a director here at the Food Hall Project. The Food Hall Project is a non-profit organisation set up to um, create a space for equality, bringing people together around food um, and company and allowing people to come and cook for each other. The ethos is that it's where people are equal, um, where, where there's people are citizens and they're not consumers. We bring everyone together. Um, so our value essentially is to really strive to make a space where humans can be equal. We have people from all walks of life. Generally, it'll be about 30 to 50% of people might be suffering from kind of some form of um, disadvantage, such as um, there'll be a lot of people who are kind of on universal credit kind of benefits. But at the same time, we also have a lot of people from different like affluent sides of society. If you pigeonhole a kind of space for one kind of person especially in if they're in uh, difficult situations in their lives it's actually sometimes quite detrimental to them there was one guy who came in who was a refugee was struggling with um, a lot of different things and then you know because of the network he's now a security guard and like you know he's got a job at the local theatres nearby it's that kind of network that bring that the community brings with it that allows people um, in those circumstances opportunity. Can I use this? Yeah, you're not using it. You're not working for the hot water. If you look back at human history, you find in all of these ancient civilizations there was kind of one typology or one kind of space that rearticulated itself and re-emerged, which was the open public space for sharing food. And even a hundred years ago, for example, you found that there were 17 of these kinds of spaces in 
in Sheffield, colloquially, they were known as communal kitchens, and these were kind of the national kitchens. And we um, are kind of a prototype of what of a, of this kind of space. Um, we're trying to rearticulate that into a modern um, metropolis. A lot of people don't understand it. They're not used to eating or kind of coming together with other people in this way. But there's um, there's room for them to grow. Today I'm just cooking this uh, couscous and rice. Yeah, it's my dish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's pasta. Yeah, yeah. My favorite is good. Yeah. A lot of our work is um, based on reducing uh, food waste uh, because we think that food waste. Uh, food poverty and isolation are interconnected issues. So if you solve one, you solve all three. Sheffield City Council, um, they're not always um, so quick off the mark, so to say. I mean, we've going, been going for three and a half years now. We've had like a number of meetings with different people and nothing has really arisen out of that. No real support, no genuine, you know, they haven't given us a space, they haven't given us any money, they haven't really given us much. There seems to be a lot of support for um, organisations which perhaps aren't looking at um, providing social facilities and the state seems to help those organizations but the real kind of grassroots organizations that are really doing innovative change in these areas there seems to be a complete lack of even acknowledgement let alone support it's a nice place to, for what it is doing this isn't it? you know how they set it up and up for on next to nothing yeah do you know this used to be an old funeral directors Oh, yeah, years ago. You know, Chef and Nicholas saw a few of uh, So there they probably put party hearses, and I don't know where they put bodies, but uh, yeah. There's been a huge number of contributors that have built and developed the, the project. But yeah, I'm still involved, um, like just as much as I've ever been. But definitely it's more like an open kind of platform now. There's a, a group this week that are doing an all-female session and then they're doing an all-female party where it's all girls on the decks everyone else on the floor now i'm i couldn't have ever organized that and like that's because that's what the community wants you know and that's just a showcase of how it happened because you know i'm like you know i'm a man <laughs> so how would i like so it's just it's that thing of like if people you know want to do something at food hall they kind of identify what their community needs the environment's so supportive and there's so many other people that are equally interested in doing something that whatever happens, it, it will always happen well. You see like a kind of red brick building with a kind of rainy concrete and then you walk past this kind of open shutter that has um, kind of people spilling out of it um, with kind of the f smell of food um, and the smell of coffee wafting in the air you'll see a kind of a big large hall um, all of these kind of tables and cutlery crockery like the clanking um, things bookshelves uh, shared non-profit kind of uh, book distribution um, you'll see like a, a pot which just says pay what you pay as you feel or like you know donate as you can um, uh, and kind of coming off of that you'll also see a ton of different workspaces and workshops one thing that describes food all really well is kind of a spirit 
each of these spaces have been made as an offshoot of that kind of spirit or that kind of energy. So there'll be like a pottery facility, you know, which will have like, you know, crafted trinkets um, that some workshop people have designed. Um, you'll have a kind of workshop facility where people will be drilling down and fixing their kind of shelf, you know, and, and then we'll find a kitchen and a volunteer space where people will be cooking for each other and just chatting. It's, it really is this idea of making some real change in the world. See, there's so much talk of change. And and when, you know, I was young growing up, I wasn't from, the, like, you know, I grew up in a difficult situation. My mom, like, she was a fantastic, inspirational, wonderful woman. She was in, uh, like, you know, m my dad had left her, like she was, you know, a single mom growing up on a, like at that point it was a count, we were living on a council estate. And like, it was super hard. And if there were just a few things that meant that there was a bigger community and if there were just a few things, a few changes, it, it, it would have made the world of difference, you know, if there were just a few more things. and. By coming and contributing to Food Hall, you can give the world a few more things. It's um, it's like vibrancy in a like an urban environment, and and something that's a real, really different, you know, like just actually different. Is there is there anything? I mean, I think that's a good sum up of what feed, the various different things Food Hall does. Is there anything that was missed that you think needs to be? I, I think that kind of summarised what Food Hall is really, really like, nicely. I think that um, I think that what's interesting is that the National Food Service um, is to kind of expand that spirit where it's like, actually there are people that share that kind of spirit or that, you know, that energy and, and, and we want to kind of grow that or we want to, mm. you know, slowly cultivate it so that we've got a larger movement and um, and it doesn't kind of get trampled on. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's amazing to me about like, the range of activity that happens in in Food Hall is that, yeah, while it's, its primary function is building community through, through food sharing, um, and that's what we, we you know, the, the aim number one of the National mm. Food Service would be is this kind of food propagation and, and food distribution. It's, it's not like going to, it's not like going to the National Health Service and visiting your local GP where you're there to only receive a kind of uh, a moment of health care. What these spaces do differently to the National Health Service is provide a variety of social goods where food is just kind of like the keystone part of like a, a bridge where it, it's the most important factor and it's the center of it but it holds up this range of other community activities so Excellent. you can learn about pottery you can learn about um what well, we're hoping to set up philosophy classes here why is food the keystone here why is food the sort of central thing here um it's really interesting question and actually I think that there's it's there's a long tradition of, of different radical movements and 
all of these movements have had okay let's save the environment let's save them and those are really good uh, you know we've got an ideology we want to push or a certain thing that we want to push and those are really sometimes really good things almost all of them always have this underlying thing of social eating mm. but they've never had that as the focus of it and actually I think that's where a lot of the equation's gone a little bit wrong that sometimes the most radical thing is is just liberating daily life you know and changing just the normality of life completely it's a bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a sense where you have you know your basic needs which are you know um, you want shelter you need food and you need all these and these things are people everyone can touch on you don't have to be a, you know you don't have to be a really high level thinker or a radical philosopher or anything like that to engage with the shared creation of food because it feels a bit like it's a natural human thing we haven't had to convince anyone to engage with social eating culture because people already do this kind of you know they think that it is rooted in human civilization in a more fundamental way yeah and then what you find is once those basic needs are fulfilled then you can start to look at more kind of self-actualization kind of things which are you know the arts and creativity which are all incredible you know goals but without getting the, the fundamentals right it, you're in a very you might never actually achieve those goals because yeah. you, you know you're missing the link like you said it's the keystone isn't it you know you're missing the keystone so, yeah like, fundamental need yeah, yeah the rest of it yeah. the, the rest of the bridge <clears throat> won't hold together unless these kind of the yeah Maslow's hierarchy of need is, is so important for understanding mm-hmm. this it's these are the the, the bottom ba- this is the base of the pyramid if once you mm-hmm. And that, that's where we're almost at when we have to do this kind of activism now because <laughs> I, I don't want to you know, rattle off about the development of capital for, for, for very long. The development of, of, of capital has got us to a place where things that were previously held in common have been either rendered now this kind of public and marketable or they're domestic. And so the the spaces where you can get food in today's society are limited to either your household, where it's made in these kind of familial um, relationships with close members of your family and are generally happen right behind locked doors and don't invite anyone in, or they happen in explicitly marketed places, um, shops, uh, like the, the, the supermarket or, or the cafe or the restaurant. Um, and yeah, there are, there are other places as well, but predominantly this is what happens. These, these places which that we originally thought of as like common space and, and genuinely public space are, are now almost absent from our food culture. And so, yeah, what Food Hall does is try and recapture this spirit of commons, recapture this, like you say, what, what Food Hall is about making people citizens and citizens has that idea of, existing in public space being a, a member of a a, a community mm-hmm. so I just I want to talk about what we've discussed so we've had two working group meetings since episode one went out uh, mm-hmm. I will admit that I might have missed the first of those because my alarm did not go off <laughs> but I made the second one um, uh, what did we discuss at those um, the first working group meeting was we were kind of just getting ourselves together. We were talking about things like creating this, you know, further creating this podcast, but also the notion of creating things like a website 
and how that website might be managed. One idea that we had was that the website could be, uh, we could create a simple website, simple web framework that then all of the members of the National Food Service, um, whatever it is in this current form, have kind of equal and open access to my mind. So in this situation, it's like working out how we communicate ourselves. And another thing we looked at was creating potentially a shared archive of information. Mm -hmm. So it becomes like a research-led methodology. So when with different groups, we, we consolidate information and research we've done. Yeah, but, and we named a few articles that we wanted to, to add to that. Yeah, so two, two of the things that we've really been looking at um, quite a lot in both of the world were the amazing work that's been done by the, the researchers behind a People's Food Policy. The People's Food Policy was put together in the heady days of 2016, I think, by um, a number of kind of grassroots um, agricultural uh, workers and agricultural unions. Mm -hmm. And so what they did in the heady kind of pre-Brexit days mm -hmm. was, was trying to imagine what a government-wide sort of food policy or an agricultural policy for Britain would be like in, in the wake of us leaving the EU. Um, so what they did was over a, a, a year, they cons they did consultation meetings with um, both members of the public and people who were working in in farming and growing and uh, developed this, uh, which is now a, a publicly readable kind of um, piece of policy document um, that could be forwarded to mm -hmm. to members of parliament and you can still you can still get involved in the consultation um so i'd recommend anyone who's interested in uh left wing and, and, and forward thinking kind of agricultural policy and food policy well if, you, if you're listening to this podcast you're probably already interested in, in that sort of thing uh but we've also been looking a lot at the new local government networks work on so it's the idea of kind of creating um like new public services. New public services are the kind of community paradigm of new public services. So just as sometimes in life, these incredible things happen where you are kind of discussing something and somewhere else in the country, someone else is, you, you're wondering whether you're mad and then someone's making research in parallel to it that really kind of, makes you think, oh, maybe we're onto something here, <laughs> you know, and this is uh, kind of one of the bits of research that has um, kind of sprung up. They kind of look back about 100 years of English kind of the changes in public service provision. Right, so, so from like the, the move from like altruistic societies and like the poor law into mm -hmm. like the post-war where you start getting like state, the state trying to provide like a kind of cradle to grave care and now this recent change into like the market sort of market driven um, Mar yeah, yeah so the, the market driven dynamic is they say is reaching the end of its um, the end of its era mm -hmm. um, so as as Elliot just said there are these four eras the, the new era they're saying is the community paradigm in public service provision which is actually incredibly completely different from the other eras um, and it's a big departure from it and I think we're part of that movement in a, in a sense that actually one of the things that 
um, the, the earlier public services were a bit like a patchwork. They had this kind of poor house dynamic sometimes. Maybe there was a kind of philanthropic kind of uh, basis and community and a basis to lots of these things. Um, then they argue that the second kind of era was in the four, starting from 1946, around the peak in its 60s, was this kind of a state-led um, provision uh, which was really um, there was a lot of incredible stuff built, um, but it was it was really really centralised at the same time and really really paternalistic. Like it becomes mm. something that you interact with, but you're not part of. You're not contributing. You can't. It, it, it can be quite opaque to deal with some of these gigantic. Um, you know, as, as amazing as the work that those people were doing. You know, setting out to you know kill the evils that you know plagued humanity of you know hunger and, and disease but yeah they built these like monoliths that mm. were extremely difficult to to relate to and that's where it becomes interesting in terms of the history of the national food service um in quotes when there was the kind of original civic kind of movement in public service provision there would have been a lot of people mutually contributing to social eating spaces this then changed when the state, um, although it created fascinating things like the NHS, it maybe omitted things that it perhaps, that the community thought were really important, mm-hmm. like public food provision um, and kind of, you know, altruistic food provision. Uh, and it didn't scale those up. It, it looked towards only scaling up the more favoured projects, perhaps, which didn't have a community back and forth, uh, a feedback loop. Um, so what, what we're kind of really hoping for with this new kind of community-centred public service is something that, it one, it, it's detached from central kind of power and policy-making, so it's, it's A, it's, it's resistive to state and, and government change and ideological change at the, the centre of government, but it, it's also participatory. It means that people can get a real genuine sense that the services they're interacting with in their local area are theirs and, and they've got a stake in how they run and they can also be democratic. They can yeah. have a say in, in how they run, why they run and what kinds of services they want to see from them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and this is kind of, this idea of building up an educational resource absolutely brings into this idea of yeah. empowering people to contribute by providing them with the sort of educational tools. Yeah, what we want to do... Sorry, I just want to... Before we go off the topic of the kind of the four things, one thing I didn't explore in detail just then was this market, which actually goes the other way, which is, you know, there was this idea, one of the the current phase we're in or we were departing from was this market provision, which was equally flawed um, with this kind of neoliberal kind of belief that the market would deliver much more efficient provision of public services but what you actually have is you just shift the hierarchy to the public sector which can in fact in many cases be even more opaque Mm -hmm. and it can be even more restrictive so you know you have you you the answer wasn't the market because what we're finding is people we've seen a steep rise in homelessness we've seen a, a decline in house building you know we've seen a decline in 
public housing and all of these different things, it, it did have an element of decentralization, which means it, mm. public services did become a little bit more participatory. But at the same time, it didn't have adequate safeguarding measures to ensure that there weren't bad actors that would take advantage of those, this capacity to deliver public services. So this new civic paradigm is maybe um, it, it's kind of coming from a decentralized approach but more altruistic and publicly orientated. Yeah, so so very much this stage of what what we've been discussing over the last two weeks is kind of almost setting up our online presence so that when people come to find out about us, they the resources are there and they can go. Yeah, I, I think this is what the role of the um, building the community paradigm is creating these... Um, places where these kind of resources are available for people to be able to set up and create their own interpretations of, yeah. of what these future public services are. So rather than yeah, them being, being, being driven by profit-focused market yeah. factors or yeah. they're being driven by this kind of state-imposed, um, you know, higher up going down and, and telling yeah. you this is what your public services look like and this is the way you interact with them. What we want to do is create, you know, a kind of guiding, a guiding level of experts who might be able to yeah, help you, help you create the services you want, and and I guess which are available and then in, to your situation. And then in time, what we can do is those people, those community groups can, because if you have a research-led methodology, what you have is you put the put the research together, and then groups can start to act on that research and internally start to contribute to that research mm. yeah. at a later date. And by growing that and the kind of sharing understanding um, is one of the things that we're quite passionate about. So some of the yeah. things that recently we've been looking at is creating these learning exchange platforms, perhaps with different organisations across the country. Um, some conversations we just had with people uh, in Brixton, Brixton Pound, they're doing yeah. um, Brixton Pound Cafe, they're doing an incredible... You incidentally have a, have a podcast have a of their podcast own, well. yeah, so we really might cool. get them on ours. Yeah, yeah, so we're going to talk to them about it. And then there's a, the Real Junk Food Project Central, which is looking at exploring a knowledge mm. exchange camp, you know, so so at the moment it's all about that. But and Elliot's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. starting the archive, the knowledge, you know, the responsibility has fallen on Elliot as well. And uh, my main responsibility from the meeting yesterday was the co- the contacts list and the contacts. Person. Yeah, this is important <laughs> as well. Is, is making because we, I mean, we're, we're all uh, involved in some way. Yeah, in, 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 in doing this kind of activism, but there is a wealth of knowledge of people out there. People, the people that we know are doing social eating and um, kind of food related activism. Are they are the the tip of the iceberg because there is so much like, so knowledge much. out there that we need to reach out get in touch with people know yeah. as much as us so we've we been building get, up get them in, um, in touch we've been building up um, Louis Louis had a context list that was built up from the symposium that happened last year and I've been sort of in my brain adding people and at some point I'll actually add them physically to the list mm. of people to contact and I think at the moment our plan is wait until we've got archive up and running website with content added to it social media up and running and then and I so I had a chat with 
Um, Ed Sapiri, who's the Dean of New Speak House in London, uh, which, um, aka the London College of Political Technologists, um, and we've been discussing doing a sort of talk there, which should hopefully put us in touch with a lot of useful people. I should also say, if we're kind of wrapping up now-ish, um, you can now follow National Food Service on Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Also, National Food Service website is coming live soon yeah fantastic I'll get a plug in for the podcast on there we should give out the email because we've got an email what's the email the email is national food at the moment it's a gmail it's Uh, it's not an email anymore it's a gmail now well the claim of the gmail is it's not email yeah google takes all emails (laughs) as well as well as everything else but google are incredibly official with some of their software so sometimes you'll be detrimental not to use it (laughs) What's the, um, what's Maybe the, later we'll change the email. Um, but it's National Food Service at Gmail. Is it National Food Service? National campaign? Food Service campaign at Gmail. Campaign. So yeah. expect an email and we probably will start a newsletter we do one day soon. Have a, we have a public drive, don't we? We've got a public Google, drive. On yeah. Google Docs. On Google. It's all on Google if you like. I think, I think, I think if you want to <laughs> look up the stuff, like the kind of reading material that we're archiving and the kind of get access to what we're doing, send an email to us yeah, and um, we can we can add you. And I, and I, and I want to set up, I think it's for a later meeting, but I'm, I'm, I think we should set up like a more sort of easy, accessible way for people to, like paths for people to contribute. So they, they can be like, there can be like maybe, I don't know, a doc where ideas splurge doc. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. really thought it through. Um, right, I think we're going to have to go because my battery's low again. So it's lunchtime, probably. It's lunchtime. Because it's lunch. <laughs> One thing I wanted to mention is that as well, yeah, like I've been doing lots of, so there was this um, drawing I did for Marsha Smith over the way. Yeah. So that's really cool, like kind of get getting, yeah, getting different groups to kind of, I mean, we're kind of supporting those guys in Nottingham and their research, but I guess that that's the beauty of this is you start sharing skills and ideas and then we can better articulate the kind of, the ones that, I think everyone's got a, a big idea in their head you know, and yeah. it's really great if we can kind of get those out and just kind of like put them on a table and say, this, this is, this is, um, this is what we're all talking about, you yeah. know, because then it just means that we can really understand other people's ideas really clearly. And, and uh, so, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, I really like that drawing as well. Lou, Louis is an illustrator. I, I, I like drawing. Yeah. On the side. <laughs> on the side. Oh, is it? Side. No, no, it's actually my main... I see, I'm an artist masquerading as everything. As, as all, you know, like... Um, so I'm an artist yeah, masquerading. We'll put it on the, the website. Social. Should we put it on the website? Yeah, we'll put it... I mean, eventually these drawings, I think, will, con- will contribute to the knowledge archive. I have this great belief that cartoons are the most the most radical thing in the world because cartoons are the, the easiest way to show the biggest political ideas, you know, and it's sometimes really hard to talk about them without, you know, you get these things like cartoons have changed the world really in one way. Anyway, that's my personal preamble yeah. over. <laughs> so um, get in touch on... Facebook and there'll be a Twitter and we've got our email and tell us your ideas tell us your thoughts mm. and hit subscribe and tell people about this by word of mouth because that's a really good way to get people to actually follow it up because um, we want to spread it's not just vanity yes I want those people to listen to this but also you know the more people who listen to it the more people who get involved 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah see you next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have yeah. our lunch now. Yeah. Bye. Yeah.